Previously.tv Podcast Network. I had a good job until my boss accused me of stealing. I better call Saul. I was out partying, minding my own business. You are under arrest. I'd better call Saul. Hi, I'm Saul Goodman. Did you know that you have rights? The Constitution says you do, and so do I. I believe that until proven guilty, every man, woman, and child in this country is innocent. And that's why I fight for you, Albuquerque. Better call Saul. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 152 for the week of April 10th, 2017. I am Harmful Wave, David T. Cole, and I'm here with Irrelevant President, Tara. Oh, God damn it. (laughs) We got Sarah D. Bunting here. (laughs) You know, Carmen Miranda. (laughs) Tiresome old bitty Tara Ariana. What about my garden? And fraudulent fudge, Jeff Drake. (laughs) The Japanese. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, related to that crapulent opening, let's just say, <laughs> we have a little site business right up top. Uh, we are off on the big podcast next week. Uh, our dear Sarah D. Bunting is moving. <laughs> She's also hysterical. Sorry. Yes, it's true. It's all my fault. I'm moving house. Yes. Thank you for your patience. Um, but we will be filling with uh, with minis. So there will be minis on schedule, including on Wednesday, when is normally the day that the big podcast drops, because there will not be one. However, there may be a forcing next week to discuss who's to say. Moving on to our lead topic this week, Better Call Saul. And joining us once again is returning champion Jeff Drake. Hello, Jeff. Hello. Hello, and Jeff. I'm very excited because I feel like we're off to a really strong start. <laughs> I would just like to say half the panel this week has collectively got eight hours of sleep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. All right. So um, the we can f- freely discuss the premiere because it has aired. We, of course, got screeners, so we may have watched it early this weekend. But uh, when I went into the uh, the episode thread last night, I saw that lots of people were very disappointed with that premiere. They thought it was really slow. People thought the uh, the segment with Mike taking his entire car apart was uh, self-indulgent and uh, overly long and that, you know, even though this is a show that's known as a slow burn, that was maybe a little bit too slow for some people's tastes. Jeff, what did you think? Um, wow, that's interesting uh, because, uh, well, first of all, let me say that um, last time for the last season. We, I came on to talk about Better Call Saul, you did. and the way that I prepared was to like I I hadn't seen anything but the first two episodes, so in like ten days I watched the rest of the season and then the premiere. To follow through with that, that's exactly what I did this time. I had not <laughs> caught up at all, so I got to watch it all in one big string. And I'm surprised to find out um, that people found that slow. Like, because for me it was kind of great because to me it was like, oh, this is like. This is like an homage to the conversation with Gene Hackman. Like, yes, that's like, exactly what I thought. Where he's like pulling everything apart, and at first it's like, it's like, is he crazy? Like, is he, is he going crazy? And I, I and like to me, it's like when you watch a bunch of them 
in a short amount of time, you realize that like there's a lot of stylistic choices that are made that are very much very like better call Sully. Well, I mean, they did them in Breaking Bad too, where mm-hmm. it's just like certain angles and stuff that are like very like stylistic choices. Yeah. And um, as far as like the uh, as far as like the pace, I don't know. Like uh, the end of last season was such a cliffhanger as far as like what what's going on and what's going to happen, and. I enjoyed like sort of like the slow burn quality of it because I enjoyed like not knowing like, like, first of all, like, I mean, uh, like his brother, like Chuck's whole thing is like, it's so interesting to realize like, oh, Chuck and, and Jimmy are essentially the same person. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like they're both just petty and like Chuck, like puts himself forward as like being like this paragon of like uh, of we talked everything. about it last time about like the this dyad of Chuck and Jimmy is just so interesting like it's just so like mm-hmm. and I don't know like that and like and the process of of Mike figuring out what's going on I found the process really fascinating. Like watch Me too. being able really to being able to see yeah. like the wheels turning, like to go along for the ride of like what because he's like, what what is going like who like because it was what I was doing. I was like, well, it couldn't have been Nacho. Like right. it has to like who was it then? Yeah. Sarah, you're 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 a process nerd. What what were your thoughts about that segment? Well, I just loved that. Um I mean there is definitely it does definitely take its time this show um i'm not saying that anyone is right or wrong to be like disappointed in the pace of the premiere but it, it is a, maybe a little puzzling to me when this is not new mm-hmm. for this show or anything in the franchise that you would have for example that shot of mike at his work table and the like giant magnifying glass yeah that in place of his eye is reflecting the table. And like, I could just watch that actor as that character, like puttering. <laughs> totally. <laughs> like better watch Mike hack shit. Yeah. Cause it was just, and like the little teeny faces he makes are just wonderful. But then you still don't exactly know what's going on until you see, like he sits down with his pistachios and it's like, all right, I think this is what he's doing. Yeah. And now we're going to find out. So it's both, I mean, it's appealing to my like wanting to solve the puzzle a little bit ahead of the show, but not so far ahead that I'm bored. Like, I feel like this show is really good at showing mostly and then telling you just so you can confirm that you kept up. Yeah. Um, And I totally agree that Chuck, Chuck is like a great, he's not even quite a villain, but the relationship between Chuck and Jimmy is fascinating and watching it with my husband, like I'm an oldest sibling and he's a youngest sibling. Uh. And like, we both love the show, but our takes on that relationship and how relatable Chuck's petty dickiness is, yeah. is kind of different. Cause I'm like, well, at least it's true to life. <laughs> my husband's like, he's the worst. I'm like, well, <laughs> But sometimes people have reasons because they said that. But yeah, I mean, I just think it's really like the storytelling is very true. And of course, um, 
I always love the scenes with um, with Kim because first of all, this actress looks like an actual mm-hmm. person who would be an attorney and not a twenty two year old actress wearing a suit. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, she's like, I don't know. Uh, like she's very relatable. The character is very relatable and how uptight she is, but also how much Jimmy appeals to her in spite of that. So yeah. yeah. The I mean, scene where she I goes, think it's good storytelling. Go. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't disappointed by that premiere at all. I also thought of you during that scene where she's going back and forth between the semicolon and the, and the M dash. She's like, been there. Oh, yeah. And, and also like the period. Bitching in our, There's a period in yeah. there. Yeah. And people are bitching in our forums. They're like, the double dash is never the answer. I'm like, Wrong. oh, no. <laughs> I can think of a reason, yeah. as a wise man once said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, then they were also like people were flummoxed by that, but I thought like that's that's the whole that's the crux of Kim's character, not just because she saw Chuck undone by the transposition of two numbers, not that he did it, but that that was the cause of his losing the account for HHM last season. But like this shit matters, like especially when you're a lawyer, but just if you're the kind of person that Kim is, this matters. And she already knows that she's gotten embroiled in some kind of shady shit, even though she's told Jimmy, never, ever tell me what actually happened. She knows something did. And, you know, so she has to make like quadruple sure to <laughs> as a baseline, like sextuple sure even better that she is doing everything exactly right so that she doesn't get you know, so she doesn't screw herself over like Chuck. But yes, Chuck, the Chuck Jimmy relationship is like the most fascinating thing about this show, and the thing that makes it so much more than just how did Jimmy become Saul? Like that's part of it, but it's it the 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 fraternal struggle between the two of them is what makes the show what makes it work, and and what would make it work if Breaking Bad had never existed. Like it's so it's so integral to to this you know what makes this an interesting story and jeff you're 100% right that chuck obviously thinks of himself as a person of great rectitude when in yeah. fact he's exa- as i wrote in my post about the premiere he's as much of a of a scumbag as jimmy in terms of you know nefarious intent but the difference is jimmy felt bad and he told chuck even to, you know to his own detriment that he was behind the number transposition Chuck will never ever confess. <laughs> he like he would never he would he we don't know what his line is or if he even has a line when it comes to Jimmy like that's how bad he is. Yeah, Chuck Chuck will never apologize. Jimmy will apologize. No. Jimmy yes. Jimmy can't help himself as Chuck mm-hmm. says sometime I mean sometime in the last 12 hours of <laughs> Better Call Saul that I watched recently. Like Jimmy, yes. but Jim, I mean, Chuck says that like Jimmy can't help himself and he can't. And it's his, you know, he's a tragic character that way. Like he's, he really like, he does things to help people and he does yeah. help people, but also he can't help himself. And, mm-hmm. but he will like, he will apologize and he does. It's not empty. You know, he does, yeah. you get the sense, like it does pain him that he can't help himself and that he keeps stumbling upon this chuck on the other hand will never apologize to him he is right to do what he does to jimmy and it's so well and jimmy knows what he is yes yes and chuck doesn't seem to realize that he's the same no, thing. It, yep, and he exactly. thinks that there's a higher moral ground for him but there isn't nope. it's just more like it just seems less sleazy but it's just as bad if not right. worse and, because it's not and it makes it 
it's not like truthful. Yeah, it makes it more and more interesting as the series continues that that Chuck has this, you know, um, affliction because it's all because it's all like it's all a response to like his life blowing apart. Like his obviously yeah. his wife leaves him. He he develops this, you know, affliction as some sort of like cry for help or, you know, or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like, and so it's just interesting. Like he, like, you know, he doesn't want people's pity, but he definitely does, yeah. you know? And it's just, I don't know, like, <clears throat> excuse me, like the three, the three characters at the core of this are just so amazingly interesting. Like Kim, Kim is just like, like I reread like uh, Tara, your thing about the, uh, what is it? The wet blanket wife yeah. recently. And it's like, it's like, you know, and you are like, is she or isn't she, you know, she's kind of seems like she is, but it's like, she's just like as complicated as anybody. Like she's one of the more complicated characters you'll ever see on television, you know, where she's like, she's like, look, I like, I want to do things by the book, but on a sideline, I will also do this grift with you, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. you know, like it's very like. And it's like, I don't know, it's just like, I, it's it's sort of like the show more and more to me becomes like a meal I don't want to stop eating. Hey, speaking of meals you don't want to stop eating, let's talk about the uh, season opener flash. Oh my uh, God. I was going to bring forwards. that up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, my question is this. Is this about the process of working at Cinnabon? <laughs> well, it's actually, it is, is about Is this about the Royals lunchbox? Because I feel like Jeff might feel ways about that. I do. I think my question is this. Uh, what exactly did Vince Gilligan at all say to Cinnabon to kind of get them on board <laughs> this really depressing take on one man's life uh, after going into the witness protection program, I assume. Or not witness protection program, but going on the lam yeah. um, and ending up at Cinnabon and all the misery there within because obviously this is a you know uh sanctioned use of cinnabon tm yes uh but it doesn't make me want to go to cinnabon it it makes me want to go to no it doesn't (laughs) first of all it's in black and white Oh god, you guys are crazy. They're this so makes, good. Oh my god. Have you had one recently? They're so They're good. So good. Okay, but each one you... is only like three thousand calories. <laughs> so you're saying you watch Better Call Saul season flash forwards and you're like, mm, Cinnabon? That's yeah. that's yeah. a good association. Sorry. Or are you saying you like Cinnabon so much is breaking through this depressing portrayal of Cinnabon life? Okay, first of all, both. Second, I don't <laughs> think this is that bad a portrayal of Cinnabon. It shows that the facilities oh, are very clean. <laughs> yes. The people that and he they're worked... willing to give second chances to those <laughs> yes. who need them. Well that that that's what Dave. I was getting at is like what what sort of razor's edge are they walking here with Cinnabon and, and Better Call Saul? Because it's not like his life is depressing, but you're right. They actually do show Cinnabon as like a functional. His employees are, seem to like him. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, what about the photo booth people? What were they <laughs> yeah. told? You're you're a good place to hide out when someone shoplifted. Yeah, that was. I There's thought not that, even snacks in there. Of all of the flash forwards to the, his Cinnabon life, this was I th- this was for sure the best. It was the most developed. Obviously, the first two seasons had to you know start somewhere, and you know him getting locked in the alley. I think that was last season. 
But this one where he, it, the moment when he, the cop asks if he saw the kid and he just flicks his eyes in the photo booth, you're like, oh, Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's such a betrayal of who he is so that when it, he comes back and is like, get a lawyer, don't say anything. He's like, Jimmy, you're still in there somewhere. You haven't been completely stamped out by all of your other terrible choices that you're, you know, you're letting this kid fight the power or fight the Sam Goody power, whoever it is that he was robbing. All right. So that was episode one. Very briefly. <laughs> This is a whole fun ahoy. Episode two uh, is where we start getting into Breaking Bad history territory. Yes. And I wanted to get everybody's quick hot take on what they thought uh, that was like, how they handled it. Do you think it was well done? Uh, did it make you want more with that? Brings well, with that. Jeff, you are you obviously watched ahead, so this this was the one where we get back to we get Gus. Necessarily, the reveal of Gus is like spoiled before the season begins. Like, there's no way you keep that under wraps. Like, you know, the word gets out, and so, but when they're shooting it, like they think they can keep that secret, and so, like for me, the fact that it's been spoiled already made the beginning of the episode like i know where i know where i know what he's sitting outside of i know we're going to have a reveal of the of the name of the restaurant i you know and so it was like get to it get to it in a <laughs> yeah. way you know but it, that's no fault of the shows right. because had they not revealed that i don't know that that would have been in my head so much right it might have been did you watch you know, ahead, but, sarah uh yes i did and i i felt the same way but then it was extremely satisfying yeah, and they did finally pan out, and I was like, "At last!" Because like we've all kind of known about this for months, and then of course it's fantastic to see Giancarlo Esposito, and um, to know that Tara's favorite character is back in play. Thank you so uh, much. But I also liked the processy part of of that, yeah. and then just afterwards when they're doing the debrief, and Jimmy really wants to <laughs> like step to like touch the badass hem of mike's <laughs> garment yeah. and like the show is telling us that mike thinks that he can't but like we've seen jimmy think quickly right in the scene before that and like shuck his watch off yep to cover so i uh, like i found that processy too and i don't know i like that the show is like this sunblasted noir thing but then there's all this like process about grift and stakeouts and and also super helpful gus Fring garbage oh, man love him. <laughs> i mean it, it, sarah's so right like seeing his beautiful smile back on tv screens like he's so even when you know he's terrible in, in many ways um he's he's so friendly he's such a great manager <laughs> Yeah, I like how you phrase that. Terrible in so many ways, as if it. it <laughs> okay, fine. He's a he's murderer. Listen, guys, it doesn't matter. He kills people, tortures people. But he will offer you an alcohol wipe if you drop your watch in the garbage. Okay. Also, I like that the 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 watch thing was a callback to um his griffs with uh what's his name in the first season his old his old yeah. griff buddy from yes, last that's man right. on earth that was, that oh, was yeah. the watch thing is a, it's 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 a, it's a prop he's he's known and gotten comfortable with so i like that that was sort of carried through too but like yeah i i thought that worked really well and this the tension of the scene um you know worked all the better because we know that it's building to the gus reveal so i, I it worked for me dave do you you yeah no i liked it i i you know I, I do agree obviously you know it's coming but i thought that it was handled well and i'm really looking forward to seeing how the show 
changes now that I assume uh, the storyline moving forward or a big part of it was going to be the Gus Fring gravity well. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody gets sucked into his enterprise and then how, you know, everybody becomes who they are in Breaking Bad as a result of it. Like what happens to Jimmy, you know, with his intersection with Gus to, you know, uh, change his fortunes such as they are and 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 turn him into Saul Goodman. Yeah. I will also say since we're talking about season two before we wrap this up that or, or the episode two rather that I, I appreciate that the that the knowledge about the tape comes to Jimmy by the end of this episode. I, th- there's so many shows that would play out this dramatic irony of letting the audience know for so much longer than Jimmy that this tape exists. <laughs> so I'm glad that it almost treats these two first episodes as like a two parter. Um, where that's that's the end of it because it, if it had dragged on much longer, it would have been pretty tiresome. So I appreciated that that pacing choice as well. Better call Saul's episode two spoilers at an end. <laughs> now you continue to listen to Around the Dial. <laughs> <laughs> time to go around the dial and our first stop is tara ariano well i'll just do a, pr- a pre-plug here since it tails off our last segment which is that i will be covering better call Saul for previously.tv all of this season so you can check that out and for around the dial i'll just briefly talk about switch to birth because i know that i'm the only one that watched it but uh the series finale as we record this airs tonight it will have aired when you hear this um such a good show. I've said in the past that the teen shows that I still watch are the ones about nice families being nice, as opposed to like the pretty li- little liars vein of like junior murderers. It's less interesting to me. <laughs> That's what they should have called that. <laughs> no kidding. But um, but switched at birth is the story of uh two girls who were uh, switched at birth. Um, one went to a very wealthy family that was headed by a former speaking of the royals, <laughs> a former royals pitcher in this in the world of the show. Um, in Kansas, they still live in Kansas City, and the other went to a single mom uh, in East Riverside, which is a rougher part of town, and she got meningitis as a child and went deaf. So it's, you know, been this the story of these two families. And you could yes. have just said Riverside. You didn't even have to go into East Riverside. <laughs> I don't know. It's in Kansas City. <laughs> That's Not- like the rat nest inside of the garbage dump, you know? Like, it's, you know, you're still living in a dump. Sorry, Riverside people. <laughs> We're not talking about Riverside, California, Dave. Oh, are we not? No, I just said in Kansas City. Pay oh. attention. It, you know what? It it applies to the Riverside outside of Kansas City as well. Okay, thank you. So. Um, <laughs> to, what we're learning here is don't name your town Riverside. <laughs> oh, no, it's a terrible. Remember, Riverside was the original location of Breaking Bad. So, you know. Oh, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. I forgot that. Uh, so I'm still on theme, I guess. Anyway, the uh, Sarah Beckham, who's covered the show for us on Previously.TV, found the finale, a series finale, a little underwhelming, and I kind of did too. They wrapped up most of the stories in a nice bow, but like considering that there's a, the, this last season was only ten episodes, and they still raised all this other like new drama. It was very, it wasn't wrap it uppy until the very end. Like in the second last episode, there was this new character was just introduced this season, having like a steroid scandal, like getting covered up by someone at the health center. So it's like mm, okay, and then he doesn't appear in the finale at all. Like it just felt like 
you know, they knew this was going to be the finale. So considering how they waited the season, it seemed weird to me. But uh, Bay didn't end up with Emmett again, which was what I feared would happen. So I was at least happy about that part. And um, I, Sarah also pointed out, Sarah Beckham also pointed out that they ended on two very strong stories about um, death life, which has been a great, uh, you know, through line, obviously, for the show. <clears throat> So I thought that was a, a a good way to to close things up and and be honest and true to one of the things that has made the show different and interesting. So if you never watched Switch to Birth, it is worth watching, it, even if the end sort of fizzled out a little bit. Um, it was funny to watch the whole fugitive storyline too with Dave in the room, but not really paying attention. So I could be like, "Do you care to be caught up on this? This is the very end." Like, no, I'm good. Anyway, um, Switch to Birth, good show. I hope that ABC Family, uh, sorry, I hope Freeform uh, replaces it <laughs> replaces it with another show more to that ilk, rather than another whatever that show was about the fake Amanda Knox in London thing that only lasted one season and no one cared about. So more more nice families, less junior your murderers is my message to freeform you can move on from me <laughs> jetholomew hey is anybody watching patriot on amazon no just me <laughs> um look i want to encourage everybody to at least watch the pilot of this show because it is this show is so bizarre and hilarious and entertaining that i'm surprised that nobody is Nobody is talking about it. What is the it about? Pilot, I don't even know that. What is it about? Kind of the less you know, the better. Okay. It's essentially about a spy okay. um, whose dad is also a spy and kind of his handler. The pilot is like one of the most enjoyable like pilots I have ever watched. Hmm. It's so like – and the main character is like so quirky and weird and so well performed by this actor I've never seen in anything named Michael Dorman. And his dad is played by Terry O'Quinn, whom I've loved oh. since I saw um, the great movie, um, the uh, the stepfather, ages yeah. ago. Has anybody seen that movie? It's amazing. Mm-hmm. The original. Yeah. Uh, Terry O'Quinn plays the dad in that. Um, also, Kurt Wood Smith is in it, and he's fantastic. I really, I don't want to spoil it because we went into it not knowing anything about the show, and most of the time we were like, "What am I watching?" Like, it's so it's so interesting and weird. I really please I encourage everybody to watch it. And then you can yell at me if you hate it. The fact that you're saying it's it's someone who has watched as much TV as you have in your day is saying this is very, like, exciting and surprising because it's so unpredictable. is like a really good inducement to check it out. Sarah D. Bunting. Speaking of patriots, um, American Experience has debuted a three-part uh, series on the Great War, uh, World War One, aka. Um, it might seem like six hours is really a lot for this particular topic, uh, because I feel like most, at least, Americans assume that this was a war that, like, not that it was a who careser, but like. For a show called American Experience, we were in the war for like 10 minutes comparatively and didn't suffer nearly the losses of other countries who were involved. And do we need another six hours on this when Dan Carlin's Hardcore History podcast ably covered the subject? Well. Nice plug. That's one of my favorite podcasts. <laughs> it's He's really good. It's amazing. That's a w- wonderful set of episodes. And he is a talking head yeah. in this. Oh, really? Oh, Yeah. And it's narrated by Oliver Platt, who seems to be one of their go-to narrators, along with P. 
Peter Coyote now. And Oliver Platt's voice to me is like, he's that teacher that like by the end of the year, you think he's the coolest. And as you go through your life, you always remember the stuff you learned in that guy's class. But at first <laughs> you're like, that guy? Like he's just sort of nerdy and there's egg on his shirt kind of thing. Um, but he's the perfect narrator for this. And this set, I've only watched the first uh, two hours, but it's, it functions almost like you don't have to be watching it. The visual aids of course are fantastic, but it works just as well to like walk around listening to it while you're cleaning your office or packing. They have wonderful voice actors. Blythe Danner is the voice of Edith Wharton. Obviously so perfect. (laughs) Wow. Christopher Gorham, Josh Hamilton is in it. Um, not the baseball player, the other one, uh, Campbell Scott, Courtney B. Vance. Uh, I would say if you liked hardcore history, give it a try. It's really cool to look at. And I'm learning a lot about the greater context of not just the United States participation in the war, but the war itself, what mm. uh, like culture was like at the time, Wilson's whole weird love affair that was distracting him from the business at hand and all that good stuff. So yeah, it's, it seems like a lot, it's going to seem homeworky, but it really isn't. And I recommend it. Um, so hardcore history, if this in any way gets back to him, I just want to say, I really love your podcast, <laughs> but whoever's normalizing your output levels, they got to bump it up. <laughs> You're like at negative 20 or something. You got to get that up to close to zero because any, uh, uh external noise and i can't hear your podcast in my regular headphones again love your podcast um his i would also co- recommend using the gate compressor function yes <laughs> my plug is for my other podcast mark and sarah talk about songs mm-hmm. co-hosted by um occupier of the mark blankenship chair mark blankenship uh mark blankenship also covers rupaul's drag race for us at previously.tv and coming up this week so as you're listening to this podcast it will drop tomorrow that's thursday we are addressing todrick hall's low featuring rupaul it is a great dance break and we have a fun discussion about rupaul and culture and all sorts of things so that's mark and sarah talk about songs you can subscribe in any podcast purveying software Hi, I'm Steve Miller. I've been a trial lawyer in Florida and Massachusetts since 1985. If you and your spouse hate each other like poison and want to get out of the hellhole you call a marriage, you've come to the right place. Look, you can waste your money screwing around with some paper pusher paralegal type, give thousands of dollars to some piece of crap three-piece suit downtown, blow your brains out trying to figure out why you wasted 25 bucks on the crappy forms you bought from the illiterate boob at the courthouse, or... Do what I say and do it now. We know what we're doing here. Look at this website, a work of art. Here's the story. Pay us a little and we get you a lot. Don't worry about the details. We'll take care of business and let you know when to crack open the champagne. Okay, time to move on. Go to the Get the Divorce page in the upper right corner, pay up, and you're on your way to getting rid of that vermin you call a spouse. We're here to help. Divorce EZ, a Florida law firm. Now it is time. <laughs> is everybody enjoying my thematically connected retro ad corners? I'm, I'm having fun with them. Yes, but does this person only operate in Florida is my question. <laughs> he's, he's, he's also, uh, he can't practice in Massachusetts, okay. according to him. Guess I'll be moving there. Uh, oh, no. 
the canon is here and Jeff Drake is presenting. <laughs> Take it away, Jeff Drake. I was looking over when I was tasked with like coming I mean, the last several times I've come on, I have not presented a canon. And this time I was like, I've, I've got to do one. And I looked through and two things stood out. One, no Bob's Burgers and no Monty Python's Flying Circus. And I thought maybe I'm a little too. Conflict of interest with Bob's Burgers. <laughs> yes. A little bit of conflict of interest with Bob's Burgers since my wife writes for it and I wrote for the comic book. So. Other people, please present Bob's Burgers because there are definitely episodes that belong in there. People have. Monty did. The uh, the uh, uh, Thomas Edison ep- episode is in the canon. <laughs> oh, it is? Yes. Okay, then I missed that. I ended up on Monty Python's Flying Circus, which to me is the, like, uh, it's sort of like ground zero of, like, modern sketch comedy and, and modern comedy. Like, it was one of the most formative things um of of my childhood that that was like oh i guess i'm into comedy because i love this show and so in my head i was like well i have to do the episode with the killer joke because that to me is like one of the funniest things ever done and it just turns out that it it happens to be the pilot episode of the i don't know if you call it a pilot but the very first episode which is called wither canada and i thought this is kismet because there are canadians on this podcast and so this has to be this this has to be what i present so here it is monty python's flying circus season one episode one wither canada and to go into this because since this aired in what was it 1969 i believe yes what you really have to do what you really have to do is imagine you're a preteen watching pbs in suburban kansas city and not Riverside, like, though. <laughs> not Riverside. No, not Riverside. I don't think they, they got it a few years later. Uh, and just imagine that you're watching, like, it's PBS. Like, PBS in the mid-70s, like, to you is Sesame Street and it's operas. And then all of a sudden, there's this thing called Monty Python's Flying Circus that you have no idea what it is. You've never seen anything like it. And, and you're introduced to this concept of comedy with this episode, which, which is like really throws the kitchen sink of like everything that we come to know Monty Python for is, is contained in this episode. The inter- the, as I pitch this for the canon, the, the main thing I want to say is you kind of have to put yourself back in the time because so much of what's in here has now been sort of reaped for and, and repurposed and redone like, but likely was done for the first time on this show. Um, Like from, you know, and it starts off very non, like it doesn't try to draw you in. It's like almost a full minute of Michael Palin dressed as like a castaway swimming up to the beach before simply saying it's, which as you know, like becomes sort of like the standard thing for the show. And then it's just, it's, it's like a full couple of minutes before you actually get to a sketch. It's a, like a, a couple of false starts. And then the first sketch is famous deaths hosted by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart played by <laughs> John Cleese, um, which is so dumb and has <laughs> Like has like the greatest last death, which is uh, Admiral Nelson being a dummy dressed like Admiral Nelson being thrown out of a a window, um, screaming "Kiss me, honey!" as he falls. <laughs> then the sketches begin to begin to play out, and the the whole episode is kind of a slow burn up to the up to the final thing, which is the killer joke sketch, which is the last ten minutes of the show. 
and and it's an interesting thing to watch in retrospect because it's like the the very first like sort of full sketch i the death sketch is kind of a bit really that's played out with like hosted by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart and a lot of the stuff seems to be playing off of the um interview interviewer in a in a studio sort of scenario um and there's you know pre-tape bits and there's Terry Gilliam animation that's that can't be covered on this that's just outrageously hilarious like it's just so so very good um but the very first sketch that really like sort of shows like what you're in for i feel like is the uh italian classroom sketch um where um terry jones plays a professor teaching a class in italian and it turns out all of the <laughs> All of the um, people in the class are from Italy and can speak full Italian, um, with the exception of one person played by Graham Chapman. And um, so let's hear that clip. Ah, capisco. Mille grazie, signore. Ah, per favore, signore. Non conosce il parlamento, signore. Devo mi polo sono italiano di Napoli quando vi lavitare di Milano. Che stupido. Ah, sorry, I don't understand. Signore, my friend is saying. Bitte, bitte, bitte. Was, was ist das Wort für Mittelschmerz? Oh, tell me, you want the German classes. <laughs> oh, danke schön. Ah, das Deutschen Klassenzimmer. Ah. <laughs> That's Graham Chapman standing up in a full Lederhosen outfit. And the question he asks is, what is the word for painful ovulation? <laughs> That is, that's the question he asks. Um, And then he discovers, oh, he's in the wrong classroom. And the thing he says at the end is, oh, the German classroom. Um, And, and so then uh, all threaded throughout this whole thing is this weird bit with pigs squealing and being, um, and being marked off on the chalkboard. Um, Or pigs being sat on and killed. Yeah. Yeah. As they're killed, they're marked off on the chalkboard. And uh, we go from that to like a a commercial parody um, where about Wizzo butter, (laughs) where the, um, the tagline for Wizzo butter is that, um, is that, um, well, first of all, that uh, you'll, if you eat whizzo butter, you'll go to heaven. But that most people, that uh, nine out of ten people, cannot tell the difference between whizzo butter and a dead crab. And so then they cut to a man on the street, played by Michael Palin, and surrounded by basically the rest of the Python cast, dressed as women. So we're now introduced to that part of the Monty Python universe, and um, and this is what plays out. Yes, you know, we find that nine out of ten British housewives can't tell the difference between Wizzo butter and a dead crab. You're on television, aren't you? Yes, yes. Silly women, you can't tell the difference between wizard butter and a dead crab. Oh, yes. You try that around here, young man, and we'll slit your face. Um, from from here, the show um, from here, the show then goes to two back to back sketches that are um, they're basically. They seem very similar. They're um, interview segments in a studio with first um, John Cleese interviewing Graham Chapman's character, who's a filmmaker, and then next Eric Idle interviewing Terry Jones, who's a a composer. And both of the jokes surround like their names. Um, with in the first case, uh, John Cleese just sort of trying to decide what to call. 
Graham Chapman's character eventually calling him Eddie Baby and Sweetie and all of this, and then going next to to Eric Idle being fixated on the composer's name nickname, which is Two Sheds, Arthur Two Sheds Jackson. <laughs> and it's they seem so similar, but then they, they end up and and so like watching it, it's like, oh, are they just kind of repeating the same bit? But then they sort of conflate into one at the end where John Cleese then helps kick Terry Jones out of out of his um out of his interview segment. And so like the show like firmly establishing that this is like like they're breaking apart television, they're mocking television and like sort of tearing it apart at the same time. Um and uh and then comes like this amazing bit where it's the dumbest I mean it's the kind of one of the dumbest things ever. It's that they're going to show Pablo Picasso Paint, painting a portrait, uh, painting a, a picture live while he's bicycling across uh, England. And the attention to detail in this sketch <laughs> is so crazy. There's a bit where Eric Idle describes the bike that Pablo Picasso will be riding in such such detail that's like straight out of like a biking catalog that's just crazy. And then then you get to like this sort of like masterful piece that is complete john cleese um like uh, like nobody could do this like john cleese where he's like completely super animated and and then names at like just just like the highbrow nature of the comedy of him reeling off all of these different um all of these different artists as if they're also in this race and it it sounds like this well, something certainly is happening here at Torworth Roundabout, David. I can now see Picasso. He's cycling down very hard towards the roundabout. He's about 75, 50 yards away, and I can now see his painting. It's an abstract. I can see some blue, some purple, uh, some little black oval shapes. I think I can see... That's not Picasso, that's Kandinsky. Good Lord, you're right. It's Kandinsky, <laughs> Wassily Kandinsky. And who's this year with him? It's Brock, George Brock the Kubis, painting a bird in flight over a cornfield and going very fast down the hill towards Kingston. And Pete Mondrian just behind Pete Mondrian, the near pestices, little gap. Uh, then the main bunch, here they come. Chagall, Max Ernst, Milo, Doofy, uh, Ben Nicholson, Jackson Pollock, and the Bella Buffet making a break on the outside here. Ben Cousy's going with him. So Rico, Ferdinand Ledger, Delaunay, Dacudi, Kokoschka stopping back here behind a little bit. Uh, so is Paul Clay dropping back a bit. And back on the right at the back of this group, our very own Kurt Schwitters. <laughs> <laughs> the great thing about this this moment is it's you you see in the foreground, bicyclists go by occasionally, but it's mostly just a shot of John Cleese, just like, I mean, how he doesn't have an aneurysm while doing <laughs> these things. And he, and this is, this is like typical for like John Cleese in, in all of his comedy, like being this amped up character. And it's, it's just really like, it, it completely depends on him selling the bit because there's no visual component to it. Really. You don't see like, they don't like, then cut to a bunch of guys on bicycles, like trying to paint, which would be ridiculous, but like, you don't need it. Like it's already so hilarious. They do finish it off by cutting to a wider shot and then a very, a, a short painter on a tricycle, obviously. Um, oh, and now his name has dropped out of my head. Toulouse Lautrec. Yes. Thank you. Toulouse Lautrec writing by like, as just like the button of the scene. But like the thing about Monty Python is like that with the flying circus is that they, what they did that like you, 
you wish more comedy shows did following it is just they would get out before the end of a sketch. They would do the funny bit and then move to something else. And sometimes the interstitial stuff is like not necessarily hilarious, but sometimes it's just John Cleese dressed like a Viking finishing somebody's sentence by saying one word and then cutting to something else. I mean, it's just, it's so like, it's, I mean, as like a nine or 10 year old watching this on TV, it was like, it's mind blowing <laughs> that you're like, what is happening to me? What is what happened to my television that this is this is happening? Eventually, we get around to the final 10 minutes um, after an incredible animation that I highly recommend you take some time to watch, especially for the dancing World War Two soldiers. <laughs> um, it by Terry Gilliam. It's just it's amazing. And then it finishes with this great long run up to like this this classic like antique photo of a of a guy just sitting in a drawing room basically and um hearing footsteps running up and after like a 25 second run up then he's crushed by a giant pig it it's certainly certainly looks funnier than i'm making it sound but it's amazing (laughs) um and then comes this classic moment of the the killer joke which which start is not like it's not like laid out in like a linear fashion. It just, it's sort of like, it sort of like evolves into what it is. Like it starts off and you don't feel like. AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now! you're in a period piece it's just a guy uh whose last name is scribbler who's a joke writer who writes the world's funniest joke that anybody who reads it dies laughing and then it's just like evolves into that being weaponized and used against the germans and there's this amazing some of the most amazing moments of this are are visual and so there's not a lot to clip from it audio wise but like when they reveal the joke on salisbury plain to show that it's effective from however many yards terry jones like slow like rubbing his eyeglasses and then reading it and not understanding and then laughing kind of quietly and just tipping over dead (laughs) like is really like one of the most great 
comic moments. Before it happened, not to interrupt your flow just for a second, but before it happened, I said to Dave, this is my favorite one. And then it cuts to him and he's just like, and then falls over. <laughs> I love that he rubs his glasses with his fingers. Completely. Like yes. that, like that's going to clear, like that'll, <laughs> in what world does that make your glasses like clearer? Anyway. Yes. Anyway. So then it becomes weaponized and they use it, they translate it to German and it's, it's a, it's the perfect, perfect nonsense German. Like it, it doesn't really make sense, but it has enough like recognizable words and, um, and, and so it gets weaponized. The Germans, like it, it works well against the Germans. Any German who hears it dies. There's a great interrogation scene with Graham Chapman wearing a sign that says a Gestapo officer. And then he shows up later after he dies with that sign flipped around, obviously flipped around, that says another Gestapo officer. Like, And then finally, the Germans work hard. They work hard and they come up with their version of a joke to retaliate. And this is the joke they come up with. <laughs> there were white peanuts. Walking down the strasse, and one was assaulted. Peanut. <laughs> In 1945, peace broke out. <laughs> I mean, whoever decided on the length of the pause between assaulted and peanut is like is a genius. Like it is it. For years after seeing this for the first time, I would say that joke over and over again. Um, it's just, it's like this perfect, it, it's really one of the most amazing sketches in that it, like, there's there's no reason it, watching it again, it's like, it does not start in World War II. This does not start in the 40s. <laughs> like, the, there's nothing that tells you it's the 40s. And then they just kind of decide halfway through, oh, it'll be used in World War II. <laughs> Anyway, this is the beginning of the of the series of Monty Python, which then, of course, begat like the movies and everything else that Monty Python brought. And and I mean, Monty Python's Flying Circus like hit American comedy like a like a, a like a like a meteor hitting the earth and destroying everything before it and creating a whole new world. Like it really like signaled like this whole new way of approaching comedy and nothing sort of encapsulated. I'm sure there are other episodes that you could pull that encapsulate it like every bit as much, but to imagine that this is the very first time that this happened, you know, that little jokes like the, the Russian judges scoring somebody's death, like is something we've seen now a hundred times over. And then sort of like having interview sketches where it, they get derailed by some little meaningless uh, tidbit of information. Like that's been used over and over again, but this was the point where that all started. And for that reason, and for the fact that, that this is now 48 years old, this is 48 years old. This is nearly 50 years old. And it's still as funny to me as it was when I saw it, you know, when, when it was only eight years old or, or however old it was by the time it had its delayed viewing on American television. And it's, it's funny when I was doing research on this, it's like one of this, this episode or, or the show itself ended up in the sometime in the two thousands as a list of like 
best cult shows. I'm like, cult shows? <laughs> like, as if somebody doesn't know who Monty Python's Flying Circus is? Like, what? you mean the cult of everyone? <laughs> anyway, I think this deserves to be in the canon because it is historically important for comedy and it's also still very, very funny. Well, I think I've kind of tipped my hand. So since Sarah is, of all of us, probably the least <laughs> uh, receptive audience to this, why don't you start, Sarah? Uh, I shall. This, um, I absolutely could not believe, like even looking at the hairstyles and living in the world, <laughs> that it is almost 50 years old. Like the because they're so smart about the way the comedy is done, like that it's so much based on timing on like little surreal touches on um, like tropes of TV shows and of human behavior that still exist. And it's not too topical that it's aged barely at all. Um, it, there were a couple of bits where I was like, okay, like keep it moving. But they really, for the most part, keep it moving. Um, the line evergreen bucket kickers had me <laughs> laughing for five minutes. I kind of want to like have a baseball, like a fantasy baseball team called the evergreen bucket kickers um, or hedgehogs called Frank. I love that at the end of that sketch that he's like, he finally asks him about movie directing. And then he's like, oh, shut up. Like, <laughs> Like, after all that, it's just so – and then two sheds. I mean, there's so much in there that's, like, it's so well done. And the pig thing, like, it just kept coming back. Even when you're like, well, there's no way they can fit a pig in. Oh, there it is. <laughs> um, I am not a huge fan of Gilliam's animations. They're, like, a little creepy to me. I don't, I don't find them enjoyable. They're, like – a little disturbing I, probably that's part of the point but that's such a minor thing um i you know this is really this is really a like classic piece of television that is an evergreen non-bucket kicker <laughs> and it was really fun to watch it i was like i didn't i wasn't sure what it was going to be like since it was the the first one and i've seen a bunch of other you know python stuff but i don't think i'd ever seen this one and i was like is this going to be like is this going to be piloty? But of course it, it wasn't. So yeah, good submission and yeah, absolute historical value, but also it's just a good half hour. I'll go next. Um, the only thing I think that is aged least well is um, the, the screechy drag voices that they do. And, you know, I, I think that's something that when kids in the hall, when another all male sketch show troupe, um did women they just use their own voices and i think that was better but that was also you know as we say like 20 plus years later like we'd we'd all grown up a lot since then if the pythons could do it over i don't know if they would do those voices again but the, on the other hand that's part of their trademark so who am i to say um i will say that my first experience of monty python other than like stray i mean i think i'd seen life of brian as a kid um but the, that my first experience of the tv show was when I worked at the public library in high school, they had a book that was all of the it was like transcripts of all of the scripts. And I read it on the bus and laughed like a crazy person. <laughs> Probably not the best way to be introduced to it, but it was the reason that I still remembered who the Montgolfier brothers were well enough to get a reach for the top <laughs> answer right. So suck it, people who think TV doesn't teach you anything. Um, you're right. Everything you say is is right, that, that they're taking apart 
really probably all of the kinds of television that there were at the time. Like there's an interview show, there's a sports show, there's a historical documentary. And then like that, you know, it's a 1969. That was probably it. So it was like, you know, your description of that made me think maybe there's a future uh, submissions from me and choosing something that tried to do the same kind of thing, which is Kroll Show, a sketch show that tries to basically deconstruct every kind of format of TV that exists pretty much um, over its three seasons. Uh, but you're right. Even at, as the killer joke sketch started, I said to Dave, even if the episode was just this, it would be canon worthy because it is so good. And I, I noted the same thing that you did, which is like it retcons itself in the middle of the sketch. Like all of a sudden now <laughs> it forgets that it, t- it started in the present day with the, you know, the cop going in and, and <laughs> while the, la- the precinct guard, uh, Officers are singing lamentations to keep this of Q this, division. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> it's just it's great. It's it it goes on like slightly too long, and then it's like nope, it had to be exactly that long. That was correct. And the 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 button of the German answer to the joke is so great. I'm glad that you clipped that. So yeah, excellent choice. Sketch shows are always, you know, a question mark. And in Mark 1, we had one successful Mr. Show and one unsuccessful SNL that Joe, who was the presenter oh at the time, bailed on mid-pitch. <laughs> Talking about recording it in the middle. God, that was classic. So great. He's like, realized it was a mistake as he was doing it, which was... I think I was on that episode and we were just looking at each other like, uh, where's this going? Yes. Uh, but he, but we uh, in this run of the show, we did, Dave, I believe, successfully pitched the premiere of that Mitchell and Webb look right. also with Nazis as I recall yeah. <laughs> are we the baddies yeah. the opening sketch um, so yeah I think you've you've picked a great one for all the reasons that you said it is it is an important moment in comedy history and also just super fun to watch Dave yeah it rewrote a lot of the rules of sketch comedy for sure um, I would say Tara the only thing I could think of off the top of my head that it didn't uh, touch on a British television at the time is the uh I think it started in 1808, which is Coronation Street. <laughs> oh, sure. Of course. Yes. Um, there's no soap. No. Uh, Monty Python was extremely uh, formative for me. Uh, I could not get enough of it. It was very hard to find where we were. Uh, so when videotapes came to our lives and mm-hmm. I could watch Monty Python uh, and the Holy Grail and stuff like that, it was like totally like my go-to comedy stuff. So this one was sort of like a win for me. I was a little worried going into it, you know, like I hadn't seen the uh, first episode of the series in a long time. And yeah, it does hold up. And there's a weird uh, eternal quality to British stuffy fashion that (laughs) ages it very well. And uh, my only quibble with this is I kind of wish they could have done like there seemed to be like four segments that were talking head show segment stuff. And I kind of wish they would, they could have changed one or two of those, uh, you know, the, the, the pair of two sheds and uh, Eddie baby made a lot of sense, but you know, maybe they could have reworked some of them. If I may give a little inside baseball about that, apparently at the time that it was historically aired, like people, because they mimicked the style of those talking head shows so well, like people who watched it that didn't know what it was were very confused. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it was <laughs> effective in that way, I guess that it was, you know, such a, such a close parody that it was indistinguishable almost for the real thing, except in its weirdness. I don't mind the screeching grandma stuff. I, uh, I know. 
it's a it's a it's it's a trademark, like I said. Yeah, I, I get it. I guess... sounded like the pigs in Angry Birds, <laughs> which I thought was funny, but yeah. it's, not, <laughs> it's not a great look. Uh, Terry Jones is my favorite Monty Python screeching uh, grandma. Well, he's, he's the Welsh one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So this is a definite uh, yes for me. So let's just put it to the vote. Tara. Yes. Sarah. Yep. All right. That means Monty Python's Flying Circus, uh, Series 1, Episode 1, Wither Canada. You are hereby inducted into the Extra Hot Great Canada. Americans love a winner. Yeah. And will not tolerate a loser. No. Oh, just before we again, I just want to say you were mentioning Mr. Show that it got into the canon like yeah direct line in between those two like for sure oh yeah 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 even the format you know like it's like Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. anyways winner of the week winner of the week is hassan minaj he's a daily show correspondent who has been just named to uh as a host of the white house correspondents association dinner this year he is the winner both because that is a great honor i always liked him when i used to watch the daily show which i don't anymore because i don't care for trevor noah at the time when he he was named i thought hassan minaj would have been a better choice history may uh vindicate me on that one but he's also a winner because as with all other things where donald trump might have to pretend to have fun and or risk looking dumb see also throwing out the first pitch at the nationals season opener and making a bracket for the fucking ncaa basketball championship how fucking hard was it obama did it and he picked correctly Bitch. He, he but, <laughs> but he can't stand he, if he were wrong it would be a horrible embarrassment he can't risk that anyway point being he's already said in february that he's not going to attend so all the more reason for it to be a fun night for everybody else sarah <laughs> um bigger littler lizier <laughs> i don't know what tara's source is on this but my source is tara and i am told that big little lies season two is in the works i read it on twitter that the the author of the book says it's in the works Ah. at hbo um i mean good for the author make your money i don't think i want to watch it i loved big little lies i thought it was perfect where it ended not everything needs to continue to be considered a success learn from true detectives mistakes Furthermore, Don't like, do it. is the second season going to be all about the investigation of the murder that we already know what it was? Like, I don't care to watch that. We already have an, uh, the affair, and I don't watch that either. Like, does every what, show have to have a, have a murder element? Zombie Sarsgaard? Or... <laughs> I mean, mm. if they start a like ladies detective murder agency, I am here for it. Obviously, sure for an Wait, episode. But... I know what it's going to be. What those women will get together and they'll kill <laughs> off another <laughs> domestic abuser somewhere else in the northern California. <laughs> in northern California, they just all move to town and start Jessica mm, Fletchering like abusers. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Look out, Crescent City. It's whatever state gives them the best uh, tax credit. I'll kickstart that shit. Get after it. <laughs> uh, speaking of starting that shit, do you know what time it is? Time to start game time. Game time. Woo! Well, everybody, this is the fifth game time of the season. Our standings are Tara 2, Sarah 1, Valued Guess 1. Exciting! Ooh. What was that? Exciting. Oh, excited. Yes, yeah. aren't we all? Yeah. Today we are playing... Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
FMK. The game. What? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Oh, no. FMK the game comes from Rob Hartman, of who course. earns himself an extra oh, credit. No. <laughs> Redeemable for an extra hot, great mini topic of his choosing. In FMK the game, mm-hmm. players are given two actors. Yes. And you must guess whether they fucked, were married, or killed the other, and on what show. Oh, oh my God, my Rob God. Hartman. Here's an important note. You might want to write this down so you can look at it. Okay. Uh, Mary trumps fuck okay. and kill trumps everything. Okay. So if characters were in a relationship, got married, then one murdered the other, the answer would be kill. Got it. All right. Note, we may have not seen the fucking or the wedding or the murder on screen. <laughs> Characters might have gotten married during the run or just known to be a married couple. What if someone named Mary got killed? (laughs) If you uh, need a hint, you can ask for the show title. (laughs) Two points for each answer. One point if you need the hint. Okay. Actors, characters, and shows can occur more than once. Okay. Make sense? Yes. Let's sort of picky. We will start with valued guests. All right. Jeff. Yay! Tara, Sarah is our order. Okay. Are we ready to play? <laughs> FMK the game. Yes. All right. Here we go. Are you ready, right. Jeff? Uh, as ready as I'll ever be. And I'm going to butcher so many names. Yeah, there are all so many fun. actors' names here. So let's, I am let's, looking forward to let's it. Let's just accept it <laughs> and play the game. Okay. Patrick Warburton, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Mm-hmm. I need uh, what they did and on what show they did it. Uh, fuck on Seinfeld. That is worth two points. Nice start. Yes, and that's how you play it. Julia yep. Louis-Dreyfus again. John Slattery. They fucked on Veep. Two points. Yep. John Slattery and Peyton <laughs> List. Um, they were married on Mad Men, and that is worth two points. Tori Spelling, <laughs> Brian Austin Green. Um, Jesus. Uh. Fuck on 90120. One point. Even though Mer- he transposed two of the numbers, I'll let him have that. 90210. Yeah, well. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. Saul did it. Okay. And, um, and, and it's Beverly Hills, comma, 90210. LOL. 90210 is a different show. But they got married. <laughs> but they got married was the answer. But you still get one point. Uh, Brian uh, Austin Green. Uh-huh. Uh, Marissa Cross. Marsha Cross? Oh, Marsha Cross. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whoa. I'm going to guess that they fucked on Desperate Housewives. That is okay. correct. Ooh, good one. Marsha Cross, Morgan Brittany. Brittany. Um, shit. I, Morgan Brittany? Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess someone killed somebody else on Melrose. Nice. That is a good guess. <laughs> Kimberly Shaw killed Mackenzie Hart in the explosion. Oh, sure. Kevin sure. Spacey, Kate Mara. Wait, say again? Kevin Spacey, Kate Mara. Oh, gosh. Well, um, I'm going to say, well, it's uh, House of Cards, and I'll say fuck. One point. House of Cards 
kill. He killed her. Oh, see, I, I dropped out, so, yeah. Good Pushes moves. her in front of a subway train. In the last good season, I would say. Yeah. Kate Mara. Yep. Dylan McDermott. Huh. Huh. Ooh. Dylan McDermott. Dylan McDermott. Show? American Horror Story? Oh, yeah. I'm requesting the show for a hint. Can I do that? Yes. Okay. You are correct. It is it American, is American Horror, Horror Story. Story. Okay, then I'm going to say he killed her. Mm, Damn it. Fuck. Fuck. Okay. Sorry, Tara. <laughs> it's okay. Dominic West, Ruth Wilson. Uh, shit, what ended up happening to those fart knockers? <laughs> um, that's the affair, and I think they fucked. That is correct. Two points. Ooh. Uh, Jessica Hetch, Heck, 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 Jane Sibbett. Yep. Jessica Heck, Jessica Heck, and Jane Sibbett. Um, I'm going to say, oh, um, I'm going to say Mary on Seinfeld. One point, Mary on Friends. That was uh, Damn it. Susan oh, and Carol. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Connie Britton, Charles Eston. Uh, they got married on Nashville. Two points. Anna Paquin, Stephen Moyer. Um, someone got killed on True Blood. Two points. Nice. Suki kills Bill in the finale. Oh, sure. Juliana Margulies, James Gandolfini. Juliana Margulies, James Gandolfini. Um, Picky. I'll say uh, kill the Sopranos. One point. Fuck the Sopranos. Damn it. Laurie Metcalf, Mm -hmm. Matt Roth. Roth. Matt Roth. Old <laughs> Matty R. Lori. Matt Roth, played Matt. by Andy Griffith. What uh, show? Roseanne. They fucked? One point. <laughs> Last question bringing us into our score break. Uh, Leeton Meester? Uh, yeah. Ed Westwick. I, oh... I'm not sure what became of them on Gossip Girl, but let's guess that they fucked. It was Gossip Girl, but they got married. Shit. Note here says Chuck plus Blair equals chair. <laughs> yep. <laughs> True. <laughs> All right, everybody. So it is time for our first score break. Okay. Sarah is in the lead with nine points. I have seven. Jeff has six. All right, Jeff. That means you are in the Grossworth. Equalizer challenge. So, all right. Now, Jeff, I think this is new since last year. Here, I believe that's correct. So, this is how it works. I have in my hand a TV Trivial Pursuit question card from the mid '80s. I will ask you all six questions. If you can get half of them right, you get an extra point Two added points. to your tally. Awesome. Two points. Oh yeah, sorry. Is that the way it works? Two yeah, points. Is two that points. what we said? <laughs> already forgotten. All right, are you awesome. ready? Awesome. I'm excited about this because it has. It's introduced <laughs> by one of my favorite TV theme songs. So, which is? Let's do this. 
Oh, the, the equalizer. equalizer. Yes, of course. What blockbuster miniseries spawned a sweet sequel subtitled "The Next Generation"? What blockbuster uh, Star- miniseries spawned a sequel? Oh, what miniseries? The subtitled. Next Generation. Uh, Degrassi High. Incorrect. Roots. Roots. Wow. Mm. I thought it was V. What did Mike Brady install in his house after his kids kept fighting over who got to use the phone? Uh, a payphone. Ah! Nice. <laughs> what ancient Greek beauty did the Night Stalker come up against? Ancient Medusa. Greek. Helen of Troy. Damn it. Smell it of Troy. <laughs> what urbane talk show host cameoed on The Edge of Night? What urbane talk show host cameoed on The Edge of Night? Correct. Jesus. Um, Dick Cavett. Wow. Nice. Nice. All right. <laughs> you only need one of these last two to get your two points. Okay. What Beverly Hillbillies character went home to bug tussle and to find a mate for Ellie Mae? Oh, Jesus. I see. Bug Tussle is capitalized, so I assume that's the name of the county. That's, or yeah, town. it's the town. Um, uh, oh, wait. Uh, say, say the question what again. What Beverly sorry. Hills character went home to Bug Tussle to find a mate for Ellie Mae? Uh, Granny. Correct. Nice. All right. Holy shit. You did it. Wait, one more. This is just for day points. We'll give you a day point. What <laughs> okay. show's star tips the scales at... 650 pounds. <laughs> what what shows star? Yeah, what shows star weighs 650 pounds? Flipper. Good guess. Gentle Ben. Oh, I was Gentle thinking ben. Ben, wow. but I thought it was too light. All right. Nicely done, Jeff Dre. Thank you. Uh, Drea Mateo, Stephen Van Zandt. Drea Di Mateo. Drea Di Mateo. Drea Di Mateo and Stephen. The Sopranos kill. Two points. Number 17. Allegedly. Eagle. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Lena Headley. Hetty. Yep. Oh, God. Uh, oh, God. Nikolai Klosterwadu. Okay. They, fuck. they fucked on Game of Thrones. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. That is correct. Two points. I pressed the other one button. <laughs> they definitely did not get married. <laughs> Amy Landbecker. Melora Hardin. What? Who was the first one again? Amy Landecker. Melora Hardin. Oh. Melora Hardin. Yes. Hint. Transparent. Yeah. Married. Nope. Fuck. Fuck. It's correct. <laughs> the two Dra- the two Jakes, Madeline Stowe <laughs> and James Tupper. Madeline Stowe, James Tupper. Wait, this is for me? <laughs> yes, yes. Madeline Stowe. James Tupper. James Tupper. Uh, show, please. Is Revenge. Revenge. Uh, kill. Correct for nice. one point. David Clark kills Victoria Grayson. Spoiler, Marge Helden- Helgenberger. Uh-huh. Yep. Grace Victoria Cox. Um, excuse me, I just had a kill little tiny under the bird. dome. Yes. Oh, oh. we are all domer. 
for it. Yes. Mary Louise Parker and Justin Kirk. That is weeds. I'd hope it's kill. It is not. It is fuck for one point, but you got the right uh, show. Aren't they siblings no, on that show? No, they were in-laws. He was her late husband. Oh, okay. Brother. Matthew Rees, <laughs> right? Is that yep, you say it? Matthew Rees. Luke McFarlane. Matthew Rees and Luke McFarlane. And Luke McFarlane. Um, I'm going to say the Americans kill. Mm. Good guess. Mary, brothers and sisters. That's Kevin and Scotty. Oh. Heather Morris, Naya Riviera. Rivera. They, uh, married on Glee. You are correct. Uh, Leah Michelle, Nassim Parad. Nassim Pedrad. Pedrad. Hey, I warned you guys. Hint. I, I warned you. Didn't I warn you? Screen queens. Kill. One point. Hester decapitates. The other. Uh, let's see. Chris Kofer. Darren Chris. <laughs> um, I will say Glee fuck. <laughs> Glee Mary. Allison Williams. Ebon Moss. Backrack. Backrack, yeah. Uh-huh. They're from Girls, and they fucked. <laughs> Mary. They got married? Yep. God. That's uh, Marnie and Desi. Yeah. Uh, Mara Tierney. Mara Tierney. Mara Tierney. <laughs> Patrick Warburton. Oh. How about My that? attorney. My I'm attorney. Sorry, who was the second one? Patrick Warburton. Patrick Warburton. <laughs> Ah, uh, the affair, and they fucked. I guess that is Mary on News Radio, last season of uh. News Radio. Mm-hmm. Steve Buscemi, Michael Pitt. Steve Buscemi and Michael Pitt. I'm going to say um, Boardwalk Empire. Kill two points. <laughs> Michael Pitt, Michelle Williams. Um. Dawson's Creek, fuck. Two points. Bring us into our second <laughs> score break. Fuck. Peter Dinklage, Charles Dance. <laughs> Picky. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, Game of Thrones, kill. And nice. that is correct for two points. All right, that is question 30 of 51. Oh boy. Well, here we go. Uh, now I'm in lead with 16. Jeff has 14. Sarah has 13. That means Sarah. Oh. I think I also have 14. There okay. you go. What's the name of... Did I score wrong? Is that what I you... think I have 14, but... Okay. Mm. So who gets the thing? I think you both do if it's a tie, right? It's a tie? Yes. And you're both tied in the season? Yes, so they are. So we put this question back into the box, and there's no growth, growth worth equalizer challenge. Oh, okay. okay. That's, uh, so are you sure about that score? I trust Sarah. Okay. Dennis O'Hare, Christopher Maloney. Oh, um, that's SVU kill. Kill part was right, but the show is true blood. All right. Christopher Maloney, Lee Turgeson. They, oh God. Ooh, it's Oz. 
kill? Kill? Ugh. Fuck. Oz. I wasn't sure. That's Keller and Beecher. Yeah. Martin Ball, Fred Willard. <laughs> Martin Ball, Fred um, Willard. That's Roseanne. I think they're married. Two points. Nice. Yeah. Kristen Bell, Zachary Quinto. Uh, Veronica Mars, fuck. Pardon me? (laughs) Veronica Mars, fuck. Incorrect on both accounts. Kill Heroes. Kill from Heroes. That's right. Kristen Bell was on Heroes. She played L. Bishop. Long time ago. Yeah. Zachary Quinto. Wow. Sarah Paulson. Uh, American Horror Story Kill. Correct. Do you know which season? Two. Two? Yes, Asylum. Asylum. Correct. Sarah Paulson, uh, Clea Duvall. Oh, Clea Duvall, Clea Duvall. Um, that's, uh, eh. shit. That is not American Horror Story Fuck? Correct. Nice. Same season. Lisa Wheel, well? Liza Wile. Wile? Yes. Let me just shut the fuck up. How about that? Lisa Wheel, well? You want your question or not? I do. And Michael York. Michael York. Um, show? Gilmore Girls. Mmm. Mary. The answer is fuck. That was Paris and Professor Professor Asher. Mm-hmm. All right, it's Liza again and George Newburn. Kill scandal. Correct. Oh, good. Charlie nice. kills Amanda Tanner. Yeah, it's Liza again. Katie Finley. Finlay. Everybody gets uh, How to get away with murder. Fuck. Oh, come on. It's right there. Murder kill. <laughs> One point. <laughs> on that show, you never know. Julie Bowen. <laughs> Noah uh, Wiley. Ew. Julie Bowen and Noah Wiley. Um, More like Julie Bone. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank uh, you. Noah Wiley. Um Jesus, show? E-R. That stands for emergency oh. room, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> no, you're wrong about that. Oh. Um, uh, emergency rodent. Uh, I'll say fuck. Correct for one point. That's Carter and Roxanne, please. And uh, in brackets, uh, editorializing, we have the uh, comment, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Simon Helberg, uh-huh. Melissa Ranch. Roush. Roush. Ranch. They it's are, Franch. All right. They are married yeah. on Big Bang Theory. Yeah, uh-huh. Melissa McBride, Brighton Charbino. Oh, God. I have no idea if that's anywhere close to that. Show. Uh, Brighton Charbino. Well, it's S H A R B I N O. Hey, watch your tone. <laughs> Negative two day points. We're talking no. back. Yes. All right. I have 1,700 to spare. I'm good. <laughs> and. Yeah, but we're, we're going to work the exponential with you. <laughs> the Walking Dead. Kill. All right. 
That is our famous Omar Gallega uh, canon submission. Look at the oh, flowers. Oh, God. Oof. Oh, right. Peter Krause. Krause. Mm-hmm. Rachel yeah. Griffiths. And Rachel Griffiths. Yeah. Um, six feet under. Yeah. And Mary. Two points. Well done. Nice. Uh, Rachel Bilson. Adam Brody. It's the OC. Uh, Mary. Mm -hmm. Two points. All right. Sarah uh, Ramirez. Jessica Capshaw. Sarah Ramirez, Jessica Capshaw, um, uh, Grace Anatomy, and I think they're married. You are correct for two points. Well wow. Okay. Uh, I have 25 points. Sarah has 22 points. Jeff has 23 points. So that means Sarah gets the equalizer. All right, Sarah. Wait, wait. I have Jeff with 18. Oh, you're right. What? <laughs> I can't count hash marks. Jeff oh gets the equalizer. He is. Oh, good. He gets it. He gets it. Okay. Sorry. I'm an idiot. Sorry to be Mrs. Correcty Pants. I'm a pot. I'm upset that I only have 18, but I'm excited to get the equalizer. <laughs> All again. right. Good luck, Jeff. Who did Ed Norton say he was going to write to about his broken watch? I'm sorry, say again? <laughs> Who did Ed Norton say he was going to write to about his broken watch? Ed Norton. Jesus. Um, I do not know. Walt Disney, of course. <laughs> what network started airing Meet the Press in 47? Uh, CBS. NBC. What name did Knott's Landing's Richard Avery give to both his son and his restaurant? Uh, fart knocker. <laughs> Close. Daniel. What horror story hostess was dubbed TV's Mistress of the Dark? Elvira. Yeah. Woo. What network did Howdy Doody appear on in the U.S.? Jesus. Um... <laughs> Howdy Doody. NBC. Good. NBC, is that what he said? Yep. Gotta get this one. What does Mary Richards say is her favorite pizza topping? Oh, crap. Um, Cheese. Pepperoni. Pepperoni. Jeff Drake. Scott Foley. Dan. Oh, Jesus. Bukatinsky. Thank you. Scott Foley and Dan Bukatinsky. Yeah, the um, the book. The book they called him. Yeah. Um. Uh, show. Scandal. Mm, Mary. Kill. Yes. Kill. Shannon Dordery. Mm-hmm. Dordery. Uh huh. <laughs> yep. Shannon. Michael Daughtery. Bailey Smith. Uh, I will say charmed. Kill? Oh, good. I nice. would say charmed. 
Suddenly, suddenly you were a leprechaun. Prue is killed by Shax the demon. Sure. Yeah. Viola Davis, Fomke Junk Johnson. <laughs> Viola Davis and Famke Jansen? Yeah. Uh, I'm not actually sure, so I'm going to guess how to get away with murder and married. Right show, but they fucked. Oh. There you go. Good for them. John Lithgow, <laughs> Julie Benz. Uh, say the first name. John Lithgow, Julie Benz. And Julie Benz. The Benz. <laughs> the Benster. Um. Well, it's not the crown. Um. Uh, <laughs> show. <laughs> what if it was though? <laughs> He's requested the show. I know. Okay. Dexter. Uh, Take a hint. Right. What happened to Dexter? <laughs> Kill. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I was right. <laughs> <laughs> Julie Benz. Yep. Dana Delaney. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, show? Desperate Housewives. Okay, kill? Fuck. Oh, gosh. Catherine Ooh. Mayfair and Robin the Stripper. Uh-huh. Ouch. Last question of the game, Scott okay. Bayo, Aaron uh, Moran. Or Moran. Moran. <laughs> or Moran. Moran. Um, hey, she did a tough life. Uh, Come on. Well, I know, but I'm not sure which show, so I will say Joni loves Jachi, and they got married. You are correct with two points. Let's hear the the final scores, please. All right. Jeff has 19. I win! Sarah has 25. I have 27. Well, you got the hard castle, so that counts for something. I'm going to give Jeff 19 day points. Hey! For hitting the hard castle. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty uh, liberal with those day points. The new era. Shits and giggles. Good job, Tara. Thanks. Jeannie Francis, Tony Geary. Or Gary. I think it's Geary. General Hospital Mary. Yes. And they are. Oh, wow. And they are. Luke and Laura. That's right. And uh, Sarah wins back those two points. She fittered away earlier. That I totally crossed off the tally. I did. Negative two points for you. (laughs) Wow. Jesus. Totally crossing those off, too. Rip it up. Look. All right, wrap it up. Sarah's right. <laughs> That's it for another episode of Extra Hot Great, where we must remember to honor our game master. We engaged our right to call a lawyer for season three of Better Call Saul before going around the circuit with stops at Switched at Birth, Patriot, American Experience, and Divorce Lawyer TV ads. And then, for something completely different, it was Jeff's successful pitch for the first episode of Monty Python's Flying Circus. We crowned winners and losers of the week, and Tara was the winner of this week's Game Time. Remember? We're listening. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara Ariano, who should respect the scores that I dole out. All right. Sarah D. Bunting. Oh, shut up. And Jeff Drake. Was ist der Wort für Mittelschmerz? <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> we'll see you next time, right here. Mittelschmerz? On Extra Great. Very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs>
And here is the final score. Pigs, nine. British bipeds, four. The pigs go on to meet Vicky Carr in the final. This has been a production of the Previously.TV Podcast Network. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. A dramatic rescue mission from the depths of space. You're 200,000 miles out. You're in a spacecraft that's dying. 13 Minutes to the Moon Season 2 tells the real story of Apollo 13. I literally got on my knees and prayed. 13 Minutes to the Moon. We don't have much time. From the BBC World Service. We're not going to the moon anymore. We're going to just be damn lucky to get home. ACAST is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts.